So Matthew chapter 15, I'm going to start in verse 10 this morning. It says, And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which the heavenly Father hath planted shall be rooted up. Or sorry, hath not planted. I hope I've got to get that knot in there. Hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. And so, if you were here last week, we looked at the, the beginning of this chapter when the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus questioning why the disciples weren't washing their hands before they ate and they're transgressing the tradition of the elders. And so rather than answering about the washing of the hands, Jesus dealt with the issue of their heart, pointing out that they held their traditions at a higher standard than the actual law of God. And he dealt with them on that level. And it's interesting as we get to this point, if you look at the situation, you need to kind of look into what's been going on here. And at the end of chapter 14, and if you remember chapter 14 was when Jesus was walking on the water and had called Peter out to him. And it says they came to shore and they came into the land of Genesaret. And this place of Genesaret, um, I just, well, I should look this up and find out where this is. And it's, it's on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is where they landed. And I'm looking at a map, and Google Maps pops up on my phone when I'm looking this up. And you know how when you're looking for um, directions to get somewhere, so I, I actually ended up putting, how far is Gennesaret from Jerusalem? And it shows me the route, which is, of course, on a modern map with the, the roads, and tells me that it's an hour and so many minutes driving time. But if you also look across the top of the, the screen, it tells you how long of a walk it is. It's 33 hours. 
the 33-hour walk from Jerusalem to this town. And I just point that out because at the beginning of chapter 15, it says that their scribes and Pharisees were, were of Jerusalem. And so these guys are from Jerusalem up in this place where, where Jesus is. And I don't know if they're following him around, listening to what he has to say, um, but it kind of appears that way, at least to some extent. When we keep on looking at this, though, um, in verse 35 of chapter 14, it says, the men of the place, when the, when the men of the place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought into him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. And these people, as soon as they know that Jesus is there, they sent out to the whole area round about them and gathered people to come and see Jesus. But do you see in verse 10, where we started reading, it says, And he called the multitude and said unto them, The multitude was already there, but it almost looks like the Pharisees kind of pulled Jesus aside privately so that the multitude doesn't see and hear the conversation that they have with him. And Jesus brings them back into this conversation. He makes sure the crowd knows the truth and the answer that he has to give to these scribes and Pharisees. So it says he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. And now he answers this question about the washing of hands. He says, Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth. And I think the the point is, is I talked a little bit last week about washing of hands and you know the knowledge of germs and cleansing for the sake of our health. Well, these guys didn't know that aspect of the reason for washing their hands. They only knew the ceremonial, and this was all figurative to them. And so looking at themselves as unclean, and they, they think it defiled them somehow, to not wash their hands before they ate. And Jesus, disregarding the whole hygiene aspect of it, just points out, doesn't what we put into our mouth isn't what defiles us. It's what comes out of our mouth. And we see later in the passage, verse 19, it says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. He's got like half of the Ten Commandments described in this verse as the things that come out of our heart and then proceed out of our mouth. And it's these things that defile us, not these petty things, these petty rules that the religious people had come up with as rules that they needed to follow. And they were more concerned about these petty things than with their own heart condition and, and the sin that lied in their hearts.
Remember back in Matthew chapter 5, we get the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus, we talked about this at the time, but Jesus is taking these common things and these things like that are contained in the Ten Commandments, these laws. And he says, you say, <laughs> and he spells out the, the basic law. And if you use the, thou shalt not commit adultery. And in their minds, it was only the act of committing adultery that was the problem. So as long as I don't actually go outside of my marriage and have a relationship with somebody else, I'm okay. But Jesus pointed out that if you even look and lust after another person, you are committing adultery already in your heart. And so he just takes the law and he takes their concept of what the law says and he just amplifies it to a whole new level. Um, and he points out that what the law isn't just dealing with the outward act. It's dealing with the condition of their heart, the thoughts. What was going on inside of our minds is as important to God as what we physically do, how we physically act on the outside. And so this is really what Jesus is getting at. And there's another side note that I see in this passage that comes up. And that's kind of where I want to focus the rest of the morning. Verse 12 it says, Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Don't you know <laughs> that these religious leaders, these teachers of the law, are offended by your answer to them about what goes into your mouth doesn't defile you, but what comes out of your mouth defiles you? That answer offended these religious teachers? Don't you know that? Aren't you worried about offending the religious leaders. Just this morning I saw a little um, picture. It said it was John Wesley. I think it was John Wesley. Anyway, one of the old-time preachers. Journal entries. And it starts early in May, and this is Sunday morning, and he says, I preached at such and such church, I was kicked out, told never to come back again. That Sunday evening, he's at another church, and same answer. Wednesday, I was in such and such a place. I was asked to never return again. Sunday morning, he's at another church, and he says the deacons held a special meeting and came and told me I was never welcome back again. And this carried on over a course of several weeks. And every place where he went to preach, he was sent away and chased out and asked to never return. And he tried preaching on the street, and he was chased off the street. He tried preaching 
in a field and they let out the bull into the field to chase him out of the field. But in June, he shows up in some place to preach in a meadow and 10,000 people <laughs> showed up to listen to him preach. People were offended. The religious leaders were offended at the preaching of God's word, at the preaching of the truth. But he preached it anyway. He preached it over and over again. Every place he went, every new place, because he got kicked out and asked to not return to the last place, but he would preach that truth again, regardless of what the people thought. He didn't care that he's offending the religious leaders of that church. He just had to preach the truth. I don't often title a sermon, but I titled this one. It's called The Sin of Being Nice. And it's as much to me as it is to anybody. I have a, in my life um, this tendency to try to avoid conflict. And so I will usually go along with just about anything anybody says to avoid an argument to avoid having... My wife doesn't believe me right now. She's shaking her head. <laughs> no. But I do, in, in the public, I try to avoid conflict. And I will tend to avoid disagreeing with somebody when they say something that's not true. And that's wrong for me to do that in many cases. Sometimes it's okay, but when it comes to biblical truth, it's not okay. It's not okay for us to keep our mouth shut and let somebody spew false teaching and not be corrected. And that's what we see with Jesus. He has these scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders and teachers, and they come and ask questions and they try to point to fault with him. And he turns it around and he points to their faults and he teaches truth to them and corrects them. But his disciples, even now, are concerned that they've been offended. And they think that Jesus should be concerned about offending these religious people. And Jesus' response to that is, Interesting. It says, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. The blind need somebody to guide them. When we're facing blind people, people that don't know the truth and can't see the truth, it's our job as a Christian to present that truth to them. Now, if we go through scripture, we will see Christians are supposed to be nice people. We are supposed to be kind and loving and that's, that gets shoved in our face if we stand against sin, if we speak out against any sin that the world is promoting today, if we speak out 
against homosexuality and transgender and abortion or, or you name the sin, if we speak against these things, they know Jesus said you're supposed to love your neighbor. You need to feed the poor and, and do all these nice things, be kind and nice. Well, yes, that is true, and the Bible teaches us those things. And I'll just point, pull to a, a couple of those. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just so I'm not contradicting what the Bible says, I'm, I'm looking at as much as I can the whole counsel and, and the way that it describes that we're supposed to do these things. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 is not the verse I was thinking of. <laughs> All right, we'll go to the next one. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Apologize for that. When I'm looking at a screen and I'm writing things down, sometimes it doesn't transfer to the paper quite the same as it's supposed to, apparently. Or I think it was the other way around. I'm looking at my Bible, typing it onto the computer. But 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, says, Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. And maybe I should give the context here. It says the beginning of this chapter says, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation I have secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, and by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true. And let's just, it carries on speaking like this but verse 3, it points that we're to give no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. The Bible spends a lot of time teaching us how to not be offensive and to represent God well to the world. And that is our job as Christians. If you go back to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 teaches us very similarly, and this is a very good chapter on 
Christian living, what our life ought to look like before the world. Romans 12, starting in verse 17, says, Recommends to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. And if he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We as Christians are supposed to live this kind of life in front of the world. Not returning evil for evil, but being kind. Being nice to people is really just a very basic description of what a Christian ought to be like when we interact with people. We are supposed to be nice, loving, caring people. If you turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 says some similar things. I'm just going to take a little part of it. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11, says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, remember, when we're talking about our world today, when we stand against sin, our world calls us evil. <laughs> they call us bigots and racist and all kinds of things that aren't true about our true heart condition. But because we stand against the lifestyles of sin, they, they speak against us as evildoers. So carry on in verse 12. It says, they may, be, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. They're supposed to be able to look at us and see our good works and be pointed to God. Verse 13 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors. As unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. And this is, again, that description of just being a good person is what we are to be, how we're to represent God and Christ in this world. But there is an offense 
in the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is offensive to people. And so there is a sin in being too nice. If I am too nice to point somebody's sin to them, I'm doing wrong in, in avoiding doing that. If somebody speaks something that's not true regarding God, it's my job as a Christian to correct that person. In, sec, in sorry, in First Peter chapter two, a little bit earlier in the chapter, verse seven it says, "Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient." The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. And the point of this, these two verses is just pointing that when, when people are disobedient to the word of God, when they're disobedient to the law, it becomes offensive to them when we point out what it says. When we point out what Jesus actually taught regarding sin, people are offended. And he becomes a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, as it describes. When you tell a person that without Jesus Christ, they're going to hell, they are going to be offended. But it is our job as a Christian to tell them exactly that. Titus chapter 3, starting verse 9 says, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. Now, that's interesting because I'm saying that we need to confront people in their sin. We need to confront people in their false teachings. love that wind. <laughs> I bring up once in a while, I, I look at Facebook, and I try to use Facebook in a productive way, looking for useful things, useful conversations. And a, a friend on there had posted something about Christianity being the only religion in the world that salvation is through grace and not works. And of course somebody had to point out the passage that talks about um, your faith without works is dead. And it started this conversation and it quickly turned out that that person had no interest in the truth, they just wanted an argument. 
but uh, my friend Steve Dunk per persevered with him and carried on that conversation and gave very clear instruction and teaching of why the gospel is by grace and not by works. And I, at one point, find, I thought the conversation had had a pause in it, um, whether it was going to continue or not. And I put in my two cents worth. And then I don't know if that started the conversation back up, but the guy was quite offended that how dare I step into this private conversation that's on a public forum. <laughs> and he tried to point that, you know, I was contradicting what the other guy was seeing, and Steve says, no, we believe the exact same thing. You're just trying to <laughs> change the topic again and cause more division. And somebody else put in a comment pointing to this verse of the patience that Steve had in teaching this person, persevering to correct the false teachings that they had, whereas this passage in Titus says that after the first and second admonition, it's okay to just stop the conversation and reject that person because they don't want the truth. But we have to point, look at the point that it's after the first and the second admonition. There has to be, we, we can't just ignore the ignorance right away. And ah, they don't want to know. That's not our job to judge that. Our job is to answer them, answer the fool according to his folly. And if he doesn't respond after a couple of attempts at this, well, then it's okay. Like, don't just sit there arguing to no avail. But don't sit by and let people, and I think maybe in in particular on a public forum like on Facebook where everybody sees this conversation. I think Steve was right to carry on instructing so that anybody who, like me, is bored enough to read the whole conversation can see the truth being presented, can see that the answer to this man was correct and had a scriptural backing in it. And so there's times where we need to do that. And there's times where we need to reject the person, but we should never let them just blankly speak a false doctrine. Like what Jesus did with the Pharisees in Matthew 15, he didn't let them get away with presenting this false teaching, this tradition as being of utmost importance as being defiling to the people if they didn't follow this tradition. Jesus points out that this isn't true. And it's important to stand against a false teaching and point out, especially in a crowd, that that's not true. And we need to correct those things.
I am getting better <laughs> at um, not just being nice all the time. And it worries me sometimes when I do it that, I'm, that I am offending people. And I'm, I'm sure I am. Um, I was sitting at a friend's place last week and somebody else came over and we're sitting at the table and they're both on a committee that deals with governments. And so now they've got all the, the trainings on... One of his trainings explained to him that Band-Aids are racist. And I'll let you think about that for a minute. <laughs> but this is the level of training that he's getting to go into these government meetings of they're coming up with problems that we could never fathom is a problem <laughs> in our thinking. Um, they, they're, creating, they're creating issues that aren't even there. And so he pointed out to this person that accepting somebody's lifestyle and promoting somebody's lifestyle are two different things. But the government today doesn't see it that way. They think we have to promote their sin in order to accept them as a person. And she argued against that statement. And so anyway, I spoke up and presented what the Bible says about it. And I don't think she was really thrilled that somebody opposed her view. But it's important for us as Christians to not sit by and let somebody's sin just prevail and teach that this is acceptable. We have to, as a Christian, stand against sin and false teachings. And there's a reason for that. And it's not for pride's sake. It's not, it's not about that. If we spend all of our time avoiding offending people, avoiding confrontation, we're never going to bring anybody to the saving knowledge of the gospel. Without confronting sin, and without confronting false teachings, without telling somebody that they're lost, they're never going to get saved. And it is our job as a Christian to tell people that they need to be saved. I'm going to turn one last, I think it's the last passage, Ezekiel chapter 3. This is a, a very sobering statement when we start to think about it. Ezekiel chapter 3 in verse 17 says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning 
nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require it thine hand. You think about those verses? I've made you a watchman. Jesus, when we trust Christ as our Savior, he makes us a watchman. He gives us the command to go and preach the gospel to let other people know that that salvation is available. And if we don't do it, we become what's described here. He says, When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and you don't give him that warning, now you're guilty of his blood when he dies. It's your fault that that person goes to hell. Because you didn't give them the truth. What a thought. That because I was too busy being nice and didn't want to cause a confrontation or cause conflict in this conversation, and I never pointed out this thing that someone's saying or doing is sin and that that sin is going to condemn them to hell for eternity and they never get told that message and they end up going to hell it's because I didn't say it or because you didn't say it but if we say it if we tell them the truth and they still don't believe it, and they still carry on doing what they're doing, we're free. We're free from that guilt. We need to speak the truth. We need to be willing to offend somebody to give them the truth. I'll regret saying this making a comparison to our world events. This passage in Ezekiel just points out it's our job to offer the solution to the problem. God doesn't force the person to believe or accept that message. If there's a vaccine available to cure a disease, to prevent a disease, our government might, you know, they're talking about mandating vaccinations because they want people to take it. But God doesn't mandate this cure for the disease that we call sin. Sin is the disease that is actually going to kill every one of us. People act as if, our world is acting as if we can avoid death in some way. <laughs> that if we can avoid getting this particular disease, 
we'll, we're escaping death. We don't escape death. Every one of us has a terminal disease and it's because of our sin. And there is a solution for it and it's the blood of Jesus. It's our job as Ezekiel's, God is pointing to Ezekiel, telling Ezekiel that it is his job, it's his responsibility to offer the cure for the disease. God's not forcing it on anybody, but it's our job to present it, to offer it, to make it available. Can you imagine as a doctor, if somebody came to you with a disease and you knew exactly what the disease was, you knew that it was going to kill the person, and you knew the treatment of how to cure that disease, but you didn't tell them about it because you thought it would hurt their feelings. <laughs> you didn't want to tell them they had the disease because it might upset them. <laughs> well, that's what we're doing when we don't tell people about their sin. That's what we're doing when we don't tell them that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. If you're a Christian, God set you as a watchman. need to make sure that you sound the alarm when you see the danger coming, which means when you see somebody believing some false thing, when you see somebody living a life of sin and rejecting or not even knowing about Jesus and the payment that was given for their sin, it's our job to shout that warning so that they know to prepare and to respond. If they don't respond, then the watchman's on a tower and he sounds an alarm and the people in the town just carry on their business. It's not his fault when the enemy comes and kills them all. But if he looks down from that tower and sees the people busy and having conversations and going about their business, and he doesn't want to interrupt them and disrupt their day, that they might be offended if I interrupt that conversation. Well, as the watchman, I haven't done my job, and now I'm guilty when the enemy comes and destroys them, right? That's the picture that we see with Jesus, and he's willing to offend somebody to give them the truth. He's willing to interrupt their life to cause an offense to tell them the truth so that they can deal with it and accept the cure. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this passage and we see that Jesus was willing to offend someone by telling the truth, help us, Lord, to have the, the courage to do that be willing to risk not being seen as being nice or kind or friendly, but being willing to offend someone so that they can 
then receive the cure for the disease that they have, which is sin, Lord, and the cure is you. Help us to, to see that, to have that desire. Help us as Christians to be more concerned with whether a person is saved than if they have received a vaccine for some illness which seems to be more on somebody, many people's minds today than, than what it ought to be. Help us, Lord, to understand. In Christ's name, amen.